Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Filmcast. I am David Chen, and this podcast has an oaky afterbirth with hints of longing and regret. <laughs> Joining me today is Divinder Hardwar. <laughs> waiter, waiter, I don't think this menu is sustainable. <laughs> and Jeff Kanata. In the menu that is the Filmcast, I like to think of myself as the amuse-bouche. Hmm. Okay. It literally uh, translates to mouth amuser. Mm-hmm. 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 Well, those are, of course, all vague and oblique references to the fact that today on the Filmcast, we're going to be reviewing Mark Mylod's newest movie, The Menu. Uh, lots to discuss in uh, our conversation about that movie, uh, for reasons I will get into. I'm very excited to talk about this with you guys. But you can find more episodes of this podcast at thefilmcast.com. Email us at slash filmcast at gmail.com. Uh, and find us on TikTok, Twitter, YouTube, at the Filmcast Pod. Today on the podcast, we got a couple of film news items to discuss with you, specifically one big one at one of the major media companies in the world. Uh, James Cameron has done a profile with GQ Magazine that's incredible that I must discuss with you guys. Uh, and then we got some what we've been watching before getting to our review of the menu. So lots to get to. But hey, first... Dave. Yes, oh, sorry. Go ahead. But I don't know what your but first is. I I <laughs> wanted to sh- jump in with a but first as well. Yeah, please. You go first. Uh, this may be the same but first. But I got to say, you know, uh, here in the United States, this is the last episode you'll hear before uh, Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. And I just want to say I'm thankful for every single person that uh, that downloads this show and listens to us. I'm grateful. I You will be in my uh, in my thoughts as I slice into my my turkey this this holiday. Uh, I feel exactly the same way. Uh, we are really grateful for folks who have, uh, especially the folks who have become patrons at patreon.com slash film podcast, but everyone who has downloaded the show, shared about the show, talked about the show, uh, and has made the show success. We are greatly appreciative. It, it's super um, great. Like I, I have noticed the show itself keeps me a little grounded as the world gets crazier <laughs> and crazier. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like every day you open the news, like, huh, okay, this is yeah. happening. Um, at least Keeps we you have grounded because you have two other guys who can tell you you're wrong about things. Absolutely. Drug, you know? That's so what that's we the, all need. That's yeah. the biggest thing. Um, but anyway, thank you for pointing that out. A happy Thanksgiving to everyone. We hope everyone has a, a safe and happy Thanksgiving wherever you are. Uh, here was going to be my, but first Jeff Kanata, uh, is a few weeks ago, we heard from somebody named uh, Kyle from Anaheim, California, about how Jeff's mistake about the mousetrap ruined his life. Do you remember this? Uh, email? I feel like we've moved on from that topic though. I feel mm-hmm. like we put that one to bed. We really, uh, you know, made amends and no one else is hurt <laughs> from that. Uh, well, the person, so for those who don't know, Jeff accidentally thought there was a movie based off of the Agatha Christie play, the mousetrap. And somebody took Jeff's advice to heart and it ended up uh, almost ruining their entire friend group. Um, so listen to, I think, I don't I think it was like, uh, the week or two after we, when was that episode? It was probably a month ago or so where we did that episode, but anyway, it was an amazing email that Kyle wrote in and Kyle has written in a follow-up Jeff oh, so, uh, about whether or not the mousetrap mistake blew up his friend group. Um, so Kyle writes, quote, you last found me from a frantic uh, you, you last found me frantic from a film cast filled commute home from work, realizing that my Friday mousetrap movie night plans were up in smoke. 
Mm-hmm, with precious mm-hmm. few days to figure out a backup plan, I ended up going with the option mentioned in my first email, a trip for the four of us to the happiest place on earth. Unfortunately, due to Disneyland's rising ticket costs, plus insane crowds, my hopes for it becoming a long-term solution to my predicament were quickly dashed. Thankfully, I found an even better option for the next Friday that me and my hubby oversaw. As it happens, the Mousetrap, the original Agatha Christie play, is celebrating its 70th anniversary. And there are a number of small regional theaters across the country that revive the play during the month of October. One of those theaters was a short drive away in Los Angeles, so I was able to surprise the group with tickets to a lovely local production. My group left the theater feeling pleased as punch. They got to experience the play the original way Agatha Christie intended, none the wiser that it's actually the only way to experience it. (laughs) <laughs> Plans for a Friday night dinner slash screening of See How They Run are already in the works. Uh, burgers, in case you were wondering, will not be served. Uh, on the marital front, I did feel it was important to eventually come clean about everything, and my husband's reaction was surprisingly muted. He comes from a background in the arts, so he appreciated that my and Jeff's screw-up led, uh, led to us supporting local theater. He got a chuckle out of listening to the episode where my email was read, and even mentioned feeling a twinge of regret for the crow Jeff ate at what was really just an innocuous mistake. Uh, for my husband's upcoming birthday, I'm thinking I might just get one of Jeff's limericks that humorously sums up this entire fiasco. I think that's but a great a, idea. But another part of me feels I should just let sleeping mice, I mean dogs, lie. Now go so with that, that first one. Through. Go with that first one. Reward me for my mis- misdeeds. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, Jeff, it turns out you didn't ruin that person's life after all. How wonderful is it? What a, what a, what a it's wonderful a Thanksgiving miracle. Act. It's a Thanksgiving yeah, miracle. It really basically. is. It really is. <laughs> Um, but yes, uh, and not only that, you inadvertently benefited local theater somehow. I don't know how that happened. <laughs> inadvertently, or was it my master plan all along? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Good question. Good question, Jeff. Okay. Thanks to Kyle for writing in at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Loved those emails. All right. The entertainment world was shaken last night. As on Sunday night, it was announced that Bob Chapek, the CEO of Disney, is out. Gone. And Bob Iger, legendary CEO of Disney for, I think, over a decade, uh, is back in. It's like 15 years. Yeah, yeah, 15 years. Bob Iger, by the way, widely beloved. Mm-hmm. Uh, arguably one of the, if not the greatest executive of all time. Yeah, um, a titan. A titan. A, t- a titan. Uh, architect. A man you don't want to follow, even even if it's not a pandemic. <laughs> even if you, know? you don't suck, he's yeah. someone that you don't want to follow. <laughs> um, but he is he is the person that architected things like uh, the acquisition of Lucasfilm, uh, the acquisition of Marvel, uh, Disney Plus. A few like, things uh, that have worked out just fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, they paid themselves off. Yes, for sure. It will continue to be moneymakers forever. So, yeah. Uh, we should also call out that Bob Chapek, uh, not a particularly beloved figure within Disney or with uh, outside of Disney or by investors. Um, he has had a really rough <laughs> by his go. friends and family or really strangers on the street. Anybody. <laughs> so harsh. There yeah. were, so, like, Disney had a disastrous earnings report uh, yes. recently, right? Was it last yes. week or a week before? Uh, November 8th. Yeah, they were. Uh, uh, go ahead. Do, 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 it go did ahead. sound like um, nothing was coming up Chapek. Basically, right? Like everything was against him. They're losing a ton of money. Um, he he feuded with Charlotte Johansson, like uh, Scarlett Johansson, like everything. Everything is just going wrong for him. He alienated his employees and a lot of uh, Disney fans with his approach to Florida's "Don't Say Gay" bill. Like he, oh, he has, man. he has not endeared himself 
to to virtually anyone. Uh, yes. And it's it's. Uh, but you're referring to the fact that on November eighth, I'm quoting from the New York Times here: Disney blindsided Wall Street by reporting 1.5 billion dollars in losses for its fledgling streaming division, which is up from 630 million uh, a year earlier. Uh, also, the reason this sent the stock tumbling is because Disney generated 20.15 billion in revenue, uh, which is a nine percent increase from a year earlier. But analysts had expected 21.3 billion uh, profits were roughly flat from a year earlier. So it's almost unheard of for <laughs> Disney to miss expectations on both revenue and sure. earnings per share. End quote. Uh, and yeah, this this if you look at the Disney stock chart, it went down quite a bit and uh shareholders were not happy but guys i wanted to th so this part of the uh the new york times article stuck out to me okay quote disney shares dropped 12 percent the next morning in part because investors and many people inside disney were shocked by the happy-go-lucky tone that mr chapek struck while discussing the earnings report on a conference call with analysts Mr. Chapek's demeanor struck many as tone deaf, in particular when he started to implausibly talk about how great the response had been to Mickey's not-so-scary Halloween party, a relatively <laughs> inconsequential event at Disneyland. At least one advisor warned Mr. Chapek ahead of time that his prepared remarks were inappropriately sunny, end quote. Now, here, here is the, the valuable journalistic insight you get here on the filmcast. I went and listened to Disney's earnings call yeah, and yeah. clipped out the portion in which he discusses Mickey's not-so-scary Halloween party, okay? So I'm going to play it for you here on the podcast. And my question for you is, do these sound like the words and demeanor of a man who is in the middle of an investor call in which he needs to report $1.5 billion in streaming losses, okay? This is Bob Chapek on the most recent Disney earnings call. One of the things our guests love most is the opportunity to celebrate at our parks as evidenced by the post-pandemic return and sellout of special ticketed events like Oogie Boogie Bash and Mickey's Not-So-Scary Halloween Party. I visited Disneyland with my family just before Halloween and the celebration was phenomenal. Tickets for Mickey's Very Merry Christmas Party at Walt Disney World have now officially gone on sale and over half of all dates have already sold out. That is from the most recent Disney investor call. And he's Bob just Chapek, trying to look on the bright side, guys. He's trying That's to look on the bright side. It's it's the only investor call in the universe that has somebody reporting $1.5 billion in streaming losses and also the words Oogie Boogie Bash, by the way. Well, I just want to put that out there. I believe uh, his own company once <laughs> informed everyone that a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's true. <laughs> So by that count, he nailed it, Jeff. Nailed it. I think he nailed yeah. it. You know, nailed it. Um, I have like, um, good uh, on on one hand, oogie boogie fun times. <laughs> on the other hand, a billion dollars we dropped on off, off a cliff. Just one point five b. That's all. That's all. We'll make it. We'll make it back real quick. This reminds me a lot of actually the the whole um, Leno coming back and taking over the Tonight Show from Conan mm -hmm, thing. But mm -hmm. uh, there was a great uh, bitter script reader on Twitter who's an account I follow, and he's a staff writer in a bunch of shows. It's uh, it's like when Leno retired and Cohen took over, inexplicably Leno took back The Tonight Show. The key difference is people liked Conan. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Poor, poor Chapek. Chapek is not beloved at all. Bob Iger is extremely beloved. Uh, and I, uh, Bob Iger in 
for virtually the entire time that Chapek has been CEO has not been super secretive about the fact that he's been unhappy with Chapek's performance. So I think Iger's first order of business as new CEO is figure out who installed Chapek as CEO. What genius groomed that guy to be successor uh, to Bob Iger and, and installed him as a successor? You know, like that's the person who you really want to get out of here. But I would yeah. love to know what's going through Iger's head because because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. seriously, the dude probably has more money than he could ever spend. Oh, absolutely. This is and, this is for the business. Well, you know, yeah. Saving and, the company. You you retire. You're you're going to spend your your remaining time just spending your money, being with your family, having a good he, he's on easy street, baby. He's got no, enough. no. He has reportedly been visiting the Ionian Sea on his yacht. Uh, for right. a lot of the last couple of years. Can, probably can, just one so of his yachts. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yes, but yes, you're, you're right. And uh, Jeff, you bring up a very good point, which is that he is jeopardizing his legacy, for sure. Well, jeopardizing right. his legacy? Like, what? what's in it for him, man? I mean, what what dump truck did they have to back up to his house? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, well, I, what, I don't it, know if it's a dump truck. I th- he never wanted to leave. He delayed his retirement yeah. like three, three times. times. Like, yep. dude, yep. N- they had to get him out of there kicking and screaming i guess so that's true. for him to have any chance to come back he wants to die uh like you know in charge of disney he wants to I be guess, there until the bitter end i guess that's the leno comparison right is absolutely that, like, didn't well, th- this is a contract for two years and during that time it is expected that he will groom mm-hmm. another replacement ooh, ooh, ooh. can i can it be me yeah, I, I think definitely. I it think be, he he will clone himself and uh, <laughs> teach him all, all of his teachings, and it's gonna end up just like uh, you know every movie involving clones, right? They always end well. <laughs> yeah, that, um, they've, they've all gone well. Um, one thing I want want to point out, by the way, uh, poor Chapik, because he took charge at the beginning of 2020. Yeah, and right before COVID. Right happened, before yeah. COVID, so he just had the the roughest time. Like I don't think anybody. Unless they were like a seasoned person like Iger, like could have actually steered the ship because he can't he couldn't control the parks closing. He couldn't control um, so many things happening. Um, So the real question is, like, what can Iger? Iger can't just like walk in and say pandemic's over. Let's get back to normal. I don't I don't know what he's going to do. Yeah, I mean, and and the big thing that uh, Chapek couldn't that every movie studio right now is dealing with is streaming is really hard to make profitable. Mm-hmm. That is the mm-hmm. situation. Right? Yeah. And, and so, and that is a, a reality that Iger will need to face as well. But you're right. Chapek got dealt a really bad hand and, so bad. and, and also handled it really poorly. <laughs> so yeah. When, uh, when, when Chapek yeah. takes his yacht to the islands, it's mm-hmm. going to be sad. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's true, just so to true. be a sad yacht. Yeah, he's going to hit a rock oh, and sink immediately. Like yeah. he, he sees more, the beach. More money than humans could spend. It's it's so (laughs) it's such a bummer. But uh yeah, it's a great it's a great point of injury that Chapek got dealt a bum hand, but uh he is going to be paid probably I think the technical term is a shit ton of money to go away. So um, we'll be remembered for all of history as a failure. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like that's it. That's what I'm saying. It's gonna be sad on his yacht with his <laughs> unspendable well, millions, you know. It's I have it's been... I have uh, I have read a lot of like corporate, 
you know, a reorg mm-hmm. announcements in my time. And uh, I believe in the mass email that Bob Iger sent out to Bob Chapek, I, or sorry, uh, to Disney saying like, I'm back. I don't believe he mentions Chapek a single time. Which <laughs> not, is re- not at all. Which is a I have, really um, like, yeah. there is no love lost between those two guys. I've um, got several friends working at Disney who like almost immediately sent, like shared the letter. and was like, just everybody was cackling because yeah, like, I can't believe it. Not, oh no, my not God. even the lip service to Bob Chapek's uh, contributions. So, um, <laughs> But uh, there's been a lot of speculation about what Iger might change. Um, uh, I, I've been talking to Peter Serretta, who has talked about how under Chapek, like the the parks have felt very penny pinching, and the parks still make up a huge portion of the revenue. Um, there is also talk about, like for me, here are the things I'm curious about. Here are the things that are probably going to be relevant to mm-hmm. uh, listeners of this podcast. Is uh, first of all. Uh, the, what they've done with Pixar, what Disney has done with Pixar over the course of the last couple of years is really unfortunate. There's been no Pixar theatrical releases other than Lightyear, basically, since the pandemic began. And uh, I am curious if Pixar is going to be back in theaters because they should be. Mm-hmm. You know, in my opinion, they should be. There, There uh, is a teaser for, for their next movie, which really makes me think Pixar could just anthropomorphize anything mm-hmm. at this point. It's just like uh, the next one's Elements. Yes. Elements of the Universe. Which is really getting microscopic now. Yeah, I like that. There was a viral tweet a while ago that was like, "What if toys?" It was like Pixar over the years. What if toys had feelings? Mm-hmm. Um, what if uh, bugs had feelings? What if feelings had feelings? Yeah, you know, that's been yeah. the yeah. been the Pixar track. What, what if the atomic blocks of the uh, you know of the universe had feelings? Yeah, <laughs> it's amazing. But the the thing that is also very interesting to me beyond like what he might do with Pixar and what he might do, how he might improve the parks and make them less uh, uh, upsetting to fans of the parks is. Um, many people have speculated that Bob Iger probably has at least one last big deal in mind. Mm. You know, like oh, this is going to be one big Iger's last ride yeah, coming Iger's soon to ride. theaters everywhere. Uh, the the one people have been floating around, which I don't think is going to happen, but people have said it is Netflix. Like, imagine if Disney acquired Netflix. Like, mm. I don't know that that makes a lot of sense because they've already spent hundreds of millions of dollars building up their own yeah, streaming service. Yeah, it's a very bad thing for the, us end users. I think. Uh, yes, agreed. Uh, but there's also like uh, it's possible they want it, that he might acquire a tech company. They almost acquired Twitter before walking away from it. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the Vox Recode conference this year, Iger described like almost buying Twitter. Like he, it, it apparently got really far down the line. Like they had a price worked out. Like it wasn't forty four billion. I'll tell you that <laughs> it was much <laughs> lower than that. Is my understanding. Um, but he walked away from it because of all the toxicity on the platform. And so, uh, but uh, Derek, well, Thompson, I bet he's kicking himself now. <laughs> Derek Thompson from Snap. Uh, uh, sorry, Derek Thompson from the Atlantic speculated uh, maybe Snap. You know, maybe he buys Snapchat for like a song because that stock is really low right now. Uh, some deal with TikTok potentially, potentially mm-hmm. a video game company. Derek Thompson also, also suggesting. So, yeah, maybe he's back because there's one like maybe he's back for a specific reason. You know, what I mean, like there's one last deal he wants to do. That would be interesting. That'd be interesting. So probably I mean, the, the, the big job is making Disney Plus profitable, too. Yes, and that is rough yeah I, that's rough yeah they're, they're gonna have to raise prices they already have a bit and every every streaming company will have to keep raising prices so yeah the, the glory days of eight dollar a month stuff is probably gonna go away real quick well you also point out that uh you, i mean you also pointed out bob chapek got dealt a bad hand like mm-hmm. a lot of the terrible things that have happened like disney's i don't know 
it was like $5 or something at the time, right? $6 when it launched. You know, a, a lot of those decisions were Bob Iger's decisions, you know? Yeah. So maybe meant to be temporary because I could totally yes. see what they what they were doing with Disney Plus was, huh? I mean, Netflix is pretty cheap and all these other jerks around us are going to be launching their services. Let's set the floor low, baby. Let's just get them in, get them in yep. low and then we'll raise the price. It took him like three years to do anything to the price. And maybe that's at a consumer level. I don't want them to keep doing that, but I think at a business level, people expected that to go up sooner. Yeah. So expect to see Disney plus price hike soon. But, um, I mean, it's been successful. I think it has like 164 million users worldwide, if I'm not mistaken. It's been a huge success, um, Mm -hmm. in terms of number of people using it. I don't know about, the finances of it. Um, but yeah, Bob Iger is going to have a tough uh, world he's walking back into. Either way, we're going to be watching it really closely and seeing what moves he makes. But this is probably one of the biggest transitions of power I've yeah. ever witnessed. And it's shocking in the way that it's occurred. Big enough um, for us to talk about a CEO change, you know, on the show. Apparently it came together very, very quickly. Like yeah. in the last like few weeks is my understanding. So uh, yeah. I, I can't wait for the uh, the Aaron Sorkin uh, adaptation of this past week at Disney. Yeah. You know, just <laughs> imagine how yeah. dramatic all yeah. that was. That's Indeed. so good. I, I want that to be a thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right. Uh, so that is one bit of film news this week. We're going to take a quick break, uh, talk about a sponsor. We'll be right back with more uh, film news. Hey, going to jump in here and tell you about our sponsor, ExpressVPN. You love watching Netflix. I love watching Netflix. We all love watching Netflix. But watching Netflix without using ExpressVPN is like going to a casino and only being able to play uh, on the slot machines. Why limit yourself like that? The big money is somewhere else. I like that blackjack. I like that poker. I like that craps. ExpressVPN is the craps. No, that's not what I want to say. It's the other awesome games. I actually happen to really like craps. But not the not the message they probably want me to express to you. But boy, ExpressVPN lets you change your online location. That's the important part. Control where you want Netflix or other streaming websites to think you're located. Yeah. Let's say I want to watch Full Metal Alchemist from Japan. Or I want some of those sweet, unreleased, bluey episodes from Australia. Guess what? I live in the U.S. I can't watch them on my Netflix. I can't watch them on my streaming services. Ooh, but guess what? I can use the ExpressVPN app on my TV, my computer. I can connect to the Japanese server, to the Australian server, refresh the page, and watch it all. Watch it all I want. Because it thinks I'm there instead of where I really am. And there's hundreds of other movies on Netflix as well. And with ExpressVPN, you get blazing fast speeds. You can stream in HD with zero buffering. It's compatible with all your devices, your phones, your laptops, your media consoles, your smart TVs, and more. And they have servers in 94 different countries. Did you even know there were 94 different countries? I bet you didn't. Gain access to thousands of new shows. It works with other streaming services, the BBC, iPlayer, YouTube, so many. So be smart. Stop paying full price for streaming services and only getting access to a fraction of their content. Get your money's worth at expressvpn.com slash filmcast. Don't forget to use our link, expressvpn.com slash filmcast to get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. Yeah, that's what we do. All right, guys. Uh, well... 
I wanted to talk more about this. I don't know how much time we'll have today, but uh, James Cameron was profiled on uh, at GQ, and it, it was released this morning. And uh, the headline of the profile is The Return of James Cameron, Box Office King. This profile was written by Zach Barron. This profile is incredible. Like, If you are a listener of this show, you <laughs> must read this profile because... <laughs> I got to say, first of all, it sounds like James Cameron has been listening to the film cast. Okay. Like, based <laughs> oh, he, on, yeah. he, he has, he addressed, has a lot of podcast time in the ocean. Okay. He has addressed virtually every single thing we have brought up on this podcast over the course of the last year about his future, about the Avatar films. And I, I, I would lo- have loved to read you guys this entire article. We obviously don't have time for that, but I'll read you a few things. First of all, here's a funny little bit. Um, He's working, he's living in New Zealand right now. And the article says, quote, one day in Wellington, New Zealand, where Cameron was finishing the film, he showed me a single effects shot, which was numbered 405. James Cameron then says, that means there's been 405 versions of this before it gets to me. Wow. <laughs> Not the 405th shot, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. 405th version, version of, of this that shot. One shot. Okay. Um, in September, Cameron still wasn't done. In September, Cameron still wasn't done with The Way of Water. The Way of Water was expensive to make. How expensive? Quote, very fucking, end quote, <laughs> according to Cameron. <laughs> who told me he'd informed the studio that the film represented the worst business case in movie history. In order to be profitable, he said, you'd have to be the third or fourth highest grossing film in history. That's your threshold. That is your break even, end quote. So... Uh, he pitched that, and people people uh, took him up on the pitch. <laughs> God, uh, I love this dude. Uh, so I know, I know. Much. Dude, there's so many quotes. I'm like Jeff Kanab would love this. Okay, here's another one. Uh, <laughs> this this is this is when he listened to the film cast. Okay, he says, "quote I'm way over this whole thing. This question I guess get asked all the time." And then he affected the voice of an aggrieved Devinder Hardwar. Don't you want to just make a little movie with just a couple of actors? It's like, yeah. I make that movie every time I make a big movie. On any given day, I might be doing a scene with two actors in a room, me hand-holding the camera. How is that any different than the smallest independent film? It's just that maybe the next day, I'm doing a battle with 40,000 people. I like to do that too, end quote. Um, <laughs> yeah, he, he didn't say Divinger Hardware. He said an aggrieved film nerd. But yeah. That also was not my complaint. So, <laughs> yes, yeah. fair enough, fair enough. Make more warrior movies, just uh, another universe. I will just read you two more quotes from this. Okay. One is um, like Cameron holds grudges. Okay. That's one thing I've learned from this Uh, right around the time (laughs) where Avatar was coming out. Cameron remembers an executive at Fox who will go unnamed because this is really negative, who approached Cameron with a stricken cancer diagnosis expression after a pre-release screening of Avatar and begged James Cameron to shorten it. And then James Cameron says, quote, I said something I've never said to anyone else in the business. I told him, I think this movie is going to make all the fucking money. And when it does, it's going to be too late for you to love the film. The time for you to love the movie is today. So I'm not asking you to say something that you don't feel, but just know that I will always know that no matter how complimentary you are about the movie in the future, when it makes all the money, and that's exactly what I said in caps, all the mm-hmm, money, mm-hmm. not some of the money, all the fucking money. I said, you can't come back to me and compliment the film or chum along and say, look what we did together. You won't be able to do that. At that point, that particular studio executive flipped out and went bug shit on me, and I told him to get the fuck out of my office. And that's where it was left. <laughs> Sir, you're in my office. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and oh, then the profile it. continues. And then, of course, the film came out and made all the money. In his office at Stone Street, I asked James Cameron whether he had a theory about why it made all the money. And then James Cameron says, quote, I don't think I need a theory. 
I think anybody that's seen the movie knows why. It's a fucking gigantic adventure that's an all-consuming emotional experience that leaves you wrung out by the end of the movie, and it was groundbreaking visually, and it still holds up today. So I don't think I need a theory, end quote. <laughs> I'm like, is this is this Jeff Kanata giving these quotes? This is just like uh, <laughs> it's like the Michael Jordan interviews. You know, it's exactly the same thing. He yeah. does, I took does that not personally. forget. I took yeah. that personally. You, you want to interview the GOAT? You get GOAT responses. <laughs> Final, final quote I'm going to read you guys, okay? This, and this is directly kind of addressing something that Devendra talked about on the podcast. Um, so he's talking about after having made the movie, right? He says, James Cameron says, quote, when you get into your mid-60s, you start realizing that the axe could fall at any moment. Maybe it's next week, maybe it's in 30 years. But the thing is, it wasn't a decision between Avatar and something else in the movie industry. It was a decision between doing more movies and very probably Avatar movies or not doing more movies That's and doing ex- expedition stuff and ocean exploration and sustainability projects, which I've been doing on the side the whole time. Why not just do that? That's more fulfilling. And then the, the interviewer says, yes, why not? And then James Cameron says, yeah, why not? Exactly. And then the interviewer says, I'm asking you why not? <laughs> and then James Cameron said that in the end, the answer he landed on was this. I'm a storyteller and there's a story to be told. Uh, in Avatar, he decided James Cameron could explore everything he cared about, his own complicated feelings about balancing fatherhood against the extremity of the projects he can't help but continue taking on. A people in the Navi with a communitarian ethos, a way of life that is connected to the natural world. Quote, and anything I need to say about conservation and sustainability and all these themes, the pros and cons of technology and where the human race is headed and all that sort of thing, I could say within that greater landscape. End quote. This is going to be the greatest fucking movie of all time, dude. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. It's going to be. Dude. I, uh, <laughs> yes. Just, just uh, keep raising is, those expectations. <laughs> I know. I know. Yeah. I'm, I'm setting myself up for a fall, but. Yeah. I, 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 I mean, listen, he, he is he, the greatest. Like one of the greatest. Uh, I, I would dare say the greatest in terms of blockbuster movie. So sure. Let him do his thing. Um, I hope I like this movie. I feel like that's my, where I'm ultimately coming down. We are T minus what? Four weeks? From this yeah, thing, so close. So, yeah, I, I, I basically said what he said the the, <laughs> the the week when he was like, "It's not like a choice between oh, make an Avatar movie or not make an Avatar movie or yeah. make some other movie." Yeah. He's, yeah, you know, yeah, it's yeah. like these are the movies that it's he's going to make. Avatar movie he, or probably not do yeah, not make. If movies he's making anymore, movies, yeah. these are the movies, and I'd like to see more movies from this man. Yeah. Uh, but I just found it. Un- First of all, it's just so refreshing to read an interview with a director that gives absolutely no fucks whatsoever like yeah. just does not give a shit about what anyone thinks about him mm-hmm. yep. um uh, he has all the money he's ever going to need like he doesn't care what executives think or whatever um and that's great uh but uh but yeah it, it's also like it feels like he is responding to in many ways many of the things we've discussed here on the podcast over the course of last year so this is a great profile and you should definitely read it it's at gq.com but um yeah, I thought I thought you guys would appreciate all those quotes, basically. Glorious. And there's there's many more quotes uh, that are worth checking out. So, uh, okay, that's all the film news we have for today. Let's get into what we've been watching. And before we do this, I do want to want to just call out that uh, over on the After Dark this week, we're going to be discussing a few topics, probably some more quotes from this interview, but we're also going to be doing a spoiler chat about Tar, the new film by Todd Field. So. Uh, look forward to that at patreon.com slash film podcast. There's a lot of movies coming out in December. We're going to try to review some in depth in the after dark. Um, so look forward to that. Patreon.com slash film podcast. Okay. Uh, what we have been watching this week, I'll talk about a few things. First of all, 
I watched the Netflix documentary Pepsi, Where's My Jet? Which yes. I discussed, I uh, referenced a couple weeks ago. You I were think so I would, excited to watch this. I was excited to watch it. And I would say it is decent. Uh, it's a cool documentary that does a good job of explaining what exactly happened with the jet story. And, and I think the thing that's the, the value for a documentary like this is that there are a lot of things that I learned about growing up um, that became kind of ingrained in popular culture. And then when you watch the documentary or you hear from the actual people involved, you realize, oh, it wasn't really like that at all. You know what I'm saying? Or like certain dynamics were not what you thought. Here's an example. I don't know about you guys, but when I was growing up, I heard uh, about the story of the woman who burned herself with McDonald's hot coffee. Right, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. Yeah. and the idea is that oh, this woman she burned herself with McDonald's coffee, and then she sued McDonald's, and uh, and like it's a it's a story about how our um, how our uh, court system is is way too litigious, and so on and so forth. Um, well, that's actually not really how that all went down, and there's actually a documentary called Hot Coffee that explains. Uh, really in depth, kind of the the sort of true story behind that. Uh, and similarly, I feel like when I heard about this Pepsi Jet guy, the impression you might have gotten is that this is a guy who was like trying to just like he was like a cunning guy trying to like sue Pepsi and get the jet immediately, and and you know, um, j- just was kind of in it for himself. I mean, he was in it for himself, but the guy who came up with the idea to get the jet from Pepsi. And let me, I guess I should explain the story in the nineties. Pepsi had an ad where you could buy Pepsi cans and bottles and turn in Pepsi points to get objects like a backpack or a leather jacket or whatever. And in the commercial, there is a kid shown landing a Harrier jet at a school and underneath it, it says 7 million Pepsi points. That's what it says in the ad. Mm -hmm. So a 20-year-old kid watches that ad and is like, I could get 7 million Pepsi points. <laughs> because a Harrier jet has a net worth, had a net worth at the time of around $30 million. Yeah, so you just sell, sell that thing. Right. Be you a millionaire. Just, you could get it sell. Or, but anyway, this kid, this kid saw this Pepsi ad and was like, my ship has come in. Like He literally was like, this is the American dream. I'm going to figure out a way to get this, this jet. And figures out a way to get the sufficient number of points so that he can cash it in for the Pepsi jet. Of course, Pepsi had no intention of giving away a Harrier jet. Uh, and they put it in there as a goof. But there was no like disclaimer in the ad. There was no fine print. There was no, like, this is just a joke. Um, so a massive court battle ensues. And that's kind of what the uh, documentary is about. Um, so I think there is value in a documentary like this, like providing the perspectives of the people involved so that, and every, virtually everyone involved gets interviewed in this documentary. So it does, it is the definitive accounting of the Pepsi jet situation. Um, but there is absolutely no reason why this documentary needs to be a four part series on Netflix. It is four, like 35 to 45 minute parts. This absolutely could have been a 90 minute film. <laughs> Some people, I, I read a review on, on t- uh, letterbox that said, this is literally a documentary that could have been a two minute TikTok. <laughs> and, <laughs> and they are not wrong about that. Mm-hmm. They are not wrong about that. Um, so I am part of the problem because I watched the whole thing, uh, but it is pretty entertaining all the way through. 
uh, and uh, and it's you know th- there's a, a bunch of colorful characters, um, but it's really like what I was left with. It's really about this this kid who had a dream. He's like I had this dream to get this jet, and make money off it. And he came up with a whole business plan of how he's going to like, you know, get the money to get the points and all this stuff. And, and how that dream was, you know, attempted to be crushed by Pepsi. Uh, and then of course the outcome, you'll have to watch the movie to find out. So it's okay. It's okay. If you know, I, I do not encourage watching Netflix, anything on 1.5 speed. I would never do that. That butchers the art. <laughs> uh huh. But if you watch this at 1.5 speed, I wouldn't be super angry at this one. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. Um, so that's Pepsi, Where's My Jet? And it's a, a fun look at a really weird chapter in advertising history. And it's streaming right now on Netflix. That's one of the things I've been watching this week. I also had a chance to check out Fire of Love. Have you guys heard about this movie? I know Devin Graham. Yeah. Have you heard about really Fire of Love? To it. No. All right. Well, I'm going to reveal something that is given away in the first five minutes of the movie Fire of Love. Okay. So Fire of Love, I'm going to talk about what happens in the first five minutes, but Fire of Love is a documentary directed by Sarah Dosa, and it's about two volcanologists, Katya and Maurice Kraft. Uh, And they're a couple, and they also were some of the top volcanologists in the world, and they would travel around to volcanoes, film them, um, and you find out in the first five minutes of this movie that they uh, they perished um, doing like w- doing what they do for a living. Um, the movie uses a ton of the footage they have shot and kind of reconstructs a-, a lot of their career and how they went from place to place and why they did what they did. I think everyone should watch this movie. And Jeff Kanata, I think you would love it in particular. Um, okay, because it's. Uh, you know, because you host, we have concerns and it's, it's very much into like the science of volcanology, but also like what compels people about volcanoes, like what it is about volcanoes that, that drew these two extremely idiosyncratic people into it. When you're standing next to a volcano, you feel so insignificant, like, like a human lifespan is the blink of an eye in the lifespan of a volcano, basically. And mm-hmm. you can understand why people were being intoxicated by it. But yeah. beyond that, the footage in this movie is absolutely incredible. I mean, there is some heart stopping shots in this movie that are just like, wow, like, it, like literally like one of these people will just walk straight up to a volcano, <laughs> like right up to the edge uh-huh. of a volcano. It's just like, look right in with a whole wall like, of lava in front of them. And it's like, like, they really should not have done that. Yeah. I mean, mm. yeah. I'm, mm. But it's like, but at the same time, it makes you understand the movie does something that's very tricky, which is through Miranda July's narration, it makes you understand why someone would want to, True. you know, why why someone would be attracted to this, why someone would, uh, and and it's just it's just interesting. Like it's yeah. it's very rare that there's two volcanologists that are a couple, you know. So you kind of I get feel a like sense that's of like, the thing. You have one person doing one crazy thing, and then they find the perfect partner, right, to do this crazy thing. There right. is something romantic about that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's something kind of uh, beautiful and tragic about that. But it's just, it's like, wow, what a, what an interesting situation. Like, we should be so lucky to find somebody that Seriously. loves to do the extremely dangerous thing that we also love doing. <laughs> and I, but it's I also love people who get 
super nerdy about things we don't think about very much at all, like unless you live near somewhere that's volcanic. But uh, we owe everything to volcanoes on this planet, yeah, folks. Like so all, all land. We should like that, right? do yeah. a lot more to research them and think about them. Yeah. Yeah. But these, these people were at the top of their field. And um, also, like, extremely random note like, it, it reminded me of how recent plate tectonic theory is right like mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. i think i always thought oh we must have always known about plate tectonic theory but it's like a relatively recent development in the history of science is my understanding um at least you know refined in the way that it has been but yeah um yeah i i love this movie i think it's great uh and it is now available on disney plus and if you are into science, if you are into love stories, if you are into nature documentaries, if you just want to see really, really incredible footage of volcanoes, then you should definitely check out Fire of Love, uh, which is streaming right now on Disney Plus as part of their National Geographic uh, banner. So oh, awesome. check it out. Um, Fire of Love. Yeah, very, very, very I don't excited. know about family friendly, but yeah, this is definitely one you could watch with the wife, uh, Jeff Kanata. Mm-hmm. And um, this is one of the few movies that I have watched that I'd recommend you can watch with the family, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> it's a rare Chen. It's a rare Chen treat. It's a rare Chen treat. It does sound like a good Thanksgiving watching. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of sad and tragic, but it's also like beautiful, you know? So yeah, I, yeah. I think it's a good one. Okay. Uh, that is Fire of Love. And those are some of the things that I have been watching this week. We're going to take a break and talk about a sponsor. We'll be right back with more of what we've been watching. Hey, it's time for me to tell you about our sponsor, StoryWorth. And it's the holiday season. If you're spending a lot of time with loved ones over the holidays, chances are you're going to hear a lot of stories. The ones you love to hear and the ones that you've heard too many times. But have you ever wanted to help your loved ones document those timeless stories? I have. It can be challenging to write an entire book of life memories, but StoryWorth makes it fun and easy. This is how anyone can write a book about their life. Every week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a single life-related question that you pick from their collection, like, what's the bravest thing you've ever done? Or, what's the farthest you've ever traveled? They're really interesting Nuanced questions that get them to start talking. All they got to do is reply with a story. And then after a year, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories, their memories, and even any photos into an exquisite hardcover book, creating a valued keepsake. I have done this twice now, once with my mom and once with my dad. This is something I'm going to hand down to my kids and their kids, I hope. My parents really took it seriously. They, they loved the weekly prompts and, and writing the email back. And I got to see it as it went. And then after a year, it became a big, cool, awesome hardcover book. And millions of stories have already been told with StoryWorth because they make the process so simple. Get started with your loved one for the holidays. And before you know it, you'll both be cherishing those timeless stories for generations to come. Help your family share their story this holiday season, like I have, with StoryWorth. Go to storyworth.com slash filmcast today and save $10 off your first purchase. That's S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash filmcast, F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T, to save $10 off your first purchase. Storyworth.com slash filmcast. Devendra Hardwar. Hit us up with some things you've been watching this week. 
Well, talk about something that's perfect to watch with my wife. Uh, We have been catching up on Dead to Me, season three, which just uh, kicked off last week. And who boy, I I love this show. Like this this show is such a perfect mix of uh, twisty plots and people keeping secrets from each other. And like it is it is just so much fun. And I was worried that in the season that they just couldn't keep up what they were doing uh, for the first two. Uh, but still good. It's still fantastic. Um, and also still like Christina Applegate and Linda Carlini are tremendous in this show, like portraying like a very unique sort of friendship. If you followed what happened in the first season, um, I'm I'm just like continually impressed by the show. You know, it gives James Marston a lot to do. Somebody who I don't think Hollywood has ever like really fully latched onto, except for maybe the Sonic movies. Um I think he's doing fantastic work here too. It is funny. It is heartfelt. It is like, it it will make you cry at times because it's a show that can just veer tonally all over the place. And then somehow by the end of the episode still surprise you. So I really appreciate the show for doing that. I'm not sure how long they plan to keep this going, um, but I'm really enjoying this ride. So if you guys have checked out uh, that to me before, I think it's definitely worth uh, ki- you know catching up. Well, I will right. tell you my mm-hmm. wife and I, loved the first season of dead to me yeah yeah and then season two started and i thought it could not have jumped the shark faster Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. in the way it contrives to let's say continue a character yeah dynamic that was in the first season yes uh it is I, i we were completely out we were just like there's this show i I had never had whiplash more from being so hard in love with something mm-hmm. to hating something. Was it just the introduction of, of that I, new character? I thought that, I mean, we only watched like two or three episodes of the first, yeah. of the second season. Uh, and it, we, I just, every single one, it was just like, this doesn't feel like it's the same writers. It felt like it was completely mm-hmm. um, immature compared to the first season but mm-hmm. i hope the third but season I, had, I remember having a lot of fun with it but honestly i i can barely recall like my over my early impressions of season two i i genuinely like the show though and i like these characters and i think the vibe of it is something that not many other shows are doing right now you know it's it's generally fun i think the core friendship remains very sweet uh this is one of, i i love linda carlini i love her in practically everything i've seen her in even when they don't use her very much like the mcu stuff so i i think this is just a great platform for her to just show you know her talents as well so i don't i'm, I'm enjoying it i didn't hate season two so maybe that's the big difference mm, yeah uh but yeah i've heard season three is solid and it's like a a, a nice ending to the series is my understanding mm-hmm. right i'm so, glad i'm glad is yeah. this like uh they they say for sure is the end i believe this is the final season of dead good of dead good. to me yeah don't keep it going because then you lose the magic for sure. I uh, I believe I, I probably shouldn't say this without knowing for sure, but I, my understanding is that Christina Applegate has MS. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And that is also like, you're seeing her kind of, uh, you know, back in, in a starring role too, like post that revelation. And I think a lot of it's very poignant, you know, like she, she is doing some parallel work here, similar to what she's going through in real life too. That's dead to me. Season three. It's streaming right now on Netflix. Devinder, what else have you been watching this week? I finally got to see um, the the tar I really care about, not Avatar, but tar. <laughs> <laughs> I had to do it. Well done. Nice. Well done. I uh, Avatar I, slam. Avatar <laughs> slam. Um, this uh, Avatar. Um, I had a tar, and I quite enjoyed this tar. 
the movie by Todd Field. And we will talk more about this in uh, in the After Dark. But also, even before you get there, um, I think if you enjoy really interesting and rich moral character studies, I, I think this film will be um, catnip for you. I thought it's incredibly well made. Kate Blanchett basically at the height of her powers. Like I, I loved so much about this movie, even though it's about a field I could, I could not care less about, to be honest, like uh, especially some of the early stuff uh, leading into this, the world of ca- classical music, especially conductors um, where this movie goes, where it opens, there's a huge like New Yorker, um, like uh, uh, was it seminar or something she's doing? Yeah. Like it, it's an interview with the New Yorker with somebody actually from the New Yorker, like opening it up. And as they read off all of her accomplishments and everything, it feels like, is she just like the female Dos Equis guy? Like the most interesting <laughs> woman in the world. She has won an EGOT. She has authored a book. She has spent time in the tribes. Um, it, it is kind of hilarious. And I think the movie is both aware of this, uh, this you know, uh, personality they're building up. And I think it's very smart about it. And it's also, hey, you, re- you rearrange the letters of Tar, you get art. And I do think this movie specifically is really exploring the idea of like how you separate um, an artist from their work and how you also how... get rat. Yeah, rat. good one. Or uh, tra. 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 Um, all, all relevant. <laughs> it checks out, guys. It checks out. <laughs> all relevant to this movie. Yeah. I loved this film. It is a very, um, it's a long watch. It's two and a half hours long. Um, it's very deliberate. So you got to like, you, this is a movie you have to focus on. But I do think it is tremendous. And um, I'm very glad I bought it. I didn't rent it on video on demand. Yeah. But yeah, it was just fantastic. Screw anyone that would rent a movie like Tar to watch it. <laughs> the $5 all. difference. How dare Tar in your life re- broach that as yeah. a possibility? At, at, any, at any moment, I could click a button and I'm watching Tar. <laughs> Amazing. There you go. Um, I agree. This movie is incredible. And uh, we'll dive a little bit more into spoilers for Tar mm-hmm. in the After Dark. But. I love this movie as well. Jeff loved it as well. We all loved it. So, um, yeah. Tar- Unfortunately, it didn't resonate much with audiences. You know, uh, yeah. I don't think it's cracked ten million dollars yet at the box office. But um, if you have a chance to see it in a movie theater or watch it at home, you should pay homage to Kate Blanchett. She is incredible in this. Um, hard to, hard but, to imagine her not winning the Academy Award for this movie. Mm-hmm. I hope she mm-hmm. does. I hope she does. Uh, Devinder Hardware. Anything else we watching this week? What? Real quick, I want to mention Andrea Arnold's new movie, Cow which is a documentary about the life of a dairy cow in a, in an English uh, dairy farm, I believe. And this is, um, this is a really interesting movie, but it is one of those documentaries that is like, there is no narration. You're just in it watching um, the life of one particular cow where you see it born on film. And it's almost kind of, a, it's an amazing moment too, because this, this creature is born and you were watching the, just like how visceral and, you know, gross it can be. And it comes out of its mother and it just like looks directly at the camera. And I don't think this cow realized like what its life would be and how documented it would be. Um, But I love Andrea Arnold. Um, Her movie American Honey is something I think about quite a bit. Um, She also did Fish Tank and she's done, you know, a couple documentaries as well. Like she, she is such a natural filmmaker there seeing her just show us the life of a cow um how mundane it is how boring it is how it it basically shows us like how little we think of and treat these animals um they only exist to give us milk and meat and 
it, it, it's kind of fascinating. So it is a movie that asks you to draw your own conclusions, but I think what it shows you, and uh, it's another movie you have to be really patient for, but I think what it shows you is empathy for these animals that most people don't ever really think about at all. Um, so I think this movie is tremendous. Um, I believe it's going to be streaming on Mubi. Um, it is worth a look, but it is not, it's a very, um, it's a very patient documentary, especially anything without any narration. You really have to like give your all to this movie, but I think it's very rewarding. That's cow. The movie by Andrea Arnold. I love Andrea Arnold as well. Mm -hmm. Um, huge fan of fish tanks. One of my favorites. Um, and Devendra, this reminds me of a Gunda. I don't know if you've heard of the movie Gunda. Yeah. 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 Very similar. Gunda is about pigs. There's Gunda, um, there's Eo, which is mm -hmm. also out this year, and I want to check that out. That's about a donkey. Something I do think about quite often is the idea that uh, it's very possible people will look back on industrial farming as one of the worst crimes mm -hmm. that humanity has ever committed. You know, mm -hmm. I, I think that's a that's a possible thing that might happen. Uh, Most delicious crimes. <laughs> I mean, that's <laughs> it's it's the cost. You're killing, it's the you're cost of me, our Jeff. society. You're killing. Yeah. Me. Yeah. All right. Well, anyway, that's Cow, and it's available right now. I think it's on video on demand. You can you can buy a rent. Yeah, um, I don't. That, I don't actually eat cows. By the way, I haven't eaten a cow in. 20 oh, that's years. right. Yeah, um, but that is what Devendra Hardwar has been watching. Jeff Kanata, what have you been watching this week? I have a number of things I want to talk about, but the first, uh, just briefly, I want to mention I did something, guys, this week that I haven't done. In, I would guess, at least a decade. At least a decade. Mm. Um, praise your co-host on the filmcast? <laughs> eh, no, I haven't done that this week. <laughs> oh, the, oh, that's right. The, sorry, that was, just, that was just something I dreamed. I'm sorry the about that. The streak Jeff. continues, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> no, I watched a new, or new to me, episode of The Simpsons. Wow. wow, that is impressive, actually. Right? Yeah. On a lark, I pulled up Disney Plus and I popped on uh, a the most recent episode of The Simpsons available, which I believe it was like the thirty third season or something. I think it was last. I think it's the twenty twenty one season was the is the newest one on Disney Plus. Uh, but I watched the Treehouse of Horror from that year, which is great. It has an extended uh, parody of Parasite mm -hmm. that is phenomenal. And then I watched like two other just regular episodes from the season. It's really good. It's really good. Like they're still making good Simpsons episodes. And I haven't watched it. And I consider myself a huge Simpsons fan and literally haven't watched the Simpsons in a decade. Oh, absolutely. Simpsons is like formative for me. Like it, it yes. informs my personality, my sense yep. of humor. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. And yet I, here we are. That. They're glad still making that. them. They're still funny. They're still clever. I I watched two episodes that were uh, that I was like I was laughing my butt off. I was like, this show is. I'm sure there are bad episodes. There was like a, a string there where it wasn't wasn't great, but I feel like it's I think great. There, there were several seasons where it just kind of fell off after a point. But I have heard this again, especially the Treehouse of Horror stuff. I want to see the most recent one where they basically did an anime Simpsons and did yeah. Death Note. So yeah, I want to check them out. Again. It, it's uh, I, it was a shock to me. I'm like, I guess I gotta watch. 10 years worth of Simpsons now? <laughs> the know. real question is, when is it safe to introduce your kids to the Simpsons? I don't know. Because there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of anti-authoritarian, you sure. know, uh, material in there. We I don't remember want a when young Eat Bart My Simpson. Shorts was considered a big deal. Like there was, a, sure. there was a moral oh, yeah. panic around it. But anyway. I know well, many people who were never allowed to see the Simpsons as kids. Yeah. But the Simpsons is not on my children's radar at all. 
Not like yet. They, they, it is yeah. no talk about no cultural impact to my children. Like they, <laughs> my kids are obsessed with things that they shouldn't be. Like my son, he, he's obsessed with you know Sonic the Hedgehog, which he shouldn't be. He shouldn't be. Like <laughs> Nobody should. Nobody should. Right. But uh, the Simpsons, not you know Bart Simpson. He wouldn't know who that is from Adam. You know. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it's yeah, still incredibly well rated like it's still they still get good viewership you know it, somebody's it's watching good. It. it's really funny and insightful and they're still coming up with new storylines it's like anyway uh, there's just a side <laughs> note i wanted to mention i was shocked that i did it i was like i'm actually gonna press play on a simpsons episode <laughs> and then i pressed play on two more and i had a great time anyway that's great Okay, so the meat of what I've been watching this week, I I went to see a screening of the new Disney Animation Studios movie, Strange World, which, is there a more generic title than Strange World? Yeah, every, every, the trailer, the poster, everything I've seen from this movie seems super generic, but I hope it's not. And it isn't. It's actually, you know, a decent, uh, entertaining, sort of uh, solid animated movie you know if it, the kind of thing that if it come out you know 15 years ago i would think this is the greatest thing ever but we, we have you know dime a dozen with these kind of things nowadays which is wild to even contemplate but um it, it, it is it is really trying to do a lot here uh in the sense that it is uh it it is a movie about discovering a crazy uh science fiction world but it starts in a crazy science fiction world. So it's not like we're in our normal world and then we get to the strange world. It's we start in a strange world and we get to a stranger world, <laughs> which it feels like, well, that's a whole lot. That's a lot to, to deliver to an audience. You're already starting in a, in a world that is not our own, that is wild. And there's reasons for it. Like this movie has a, you know, has a sort of a big third act that, that reveals a lot of stuff. And it's a lot of heavy lifting to get there. It feels like the movie is very effortful in what it is trying to do. And ultimately, it's it's making a very um, not subtle <laughs> allegory to, uh, you know, the 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 oil industry in, in our real world and how, you know, we are destroying our planet in order to have nice things that go fast. Um, and in a strange world, that is kind of the uh, the the message as well. But this is a very progressive movie. Uh, I don't, I don't know of other um, Disney movies that you know the the sort of main young character, the sixteen year old boy who is at the center of the story, uh, has a homosexual crush, uh, and he's uh, the 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 son of uh, a white father and a black mother, and and there's lots of kissing of those people, and it's a very, it's a very multicultural uh, movie, and I I applaud it for all that stuff. I thought that was all great, uh, and I think the the design of the bizarre strange world itself is uh clever and 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 unique and compelling it's very bulbous and strange there's a there's a an alien type creature that is called splat that is basically like this gelatinous kind of oozy thing that moves around and and moves in very fun ways and so the animation is a highlight here i think it's a really mm. beautiful movie uh, and I love um, Dennis Quaid plays this uh, this character called Jaeger Clade. So Quaid plays plays Clade, but um, he's great. He's like grizzled and old Dennis Quaid, and uh, it's it's a fun character. And ultimately, it's a movie about uh, fathers and sons and and the, the legacy that you leave. And so my my biggest takeaway from this movie actually is, fellas, 
I couldn't talk my son into going to the movies with me. I had the mm. chance to bring him yeah. to this movie. Uh, and he refused over many days. I, it, uh, we had the invitation to the screening uh, several weeks in advance. And I kept mm -hmm. asking if he would, would go with me. And he kept saying he did not want to go. And it was, what, what, what was the how does a pitch go, Jeff? Like, what do you what do you I say got, to yourself? I, got, I brought him to several movies. It, it turns uh -huh. out, guys, Lightyear may have broken movies for my son. Oh. <laughs> Curse you, Lightyear! Yeah, yeah. Because that was the last. last that was the last one you saw mm -hmm. with him. Last movie we went to in the movie theater, and the fact that this one it has sort of sci-fi vibes. He was not having any of it. Not interested. It, he he thought Lightyear was scary and not fun, and mm -hmm. uh, not interested in going to the movies anymore. And honestly, I'm having a real hard time with it. I'm having a real hard time. Mm. It, it is one of those things that uh, obviously I do this podcast and have have talked about my love of movies professionally for a long time. I adore movies. We have a movie theater in my house, in my yeah, basement. Yeah. I bought a house that has a movie theater in it. My kids won't set foot inside it. My <laughs> son won't join me. If I was six and my dad said, let's go to the movies, yeah, it would be yeah. the greatest day of my life. My kid, not interested. Sorry, dad. They've got different priorities, man. Oh, they got you. little, little, little tablets that gives them whatever they want. It's true. You know, like it's everything. You're not wrong. You're not yeah. wrong. We it, had it, nothing. We had nothing. We had nothing. And the idea of a giant screen yeah. has no value to them. Has mm. no wonder. There's no magic to the idea of an enormous screen. To me, that was the greatest thing I could imagine. Like the biggest screen, IMAX. Are you kidding me? We would go to the amusement park when I was a kid. They had the only IMAX screen back then. And it was mm -hmm. like the greatest thing in the world. He may, it, he may get into it. Like, it, it just, you'll need a thing, you know, you, you'll get there. I still it, haven't even been able to take Sophia, like, to the movies. I'm still waiting for that one perfect movie to do that. It's, it's a heartbreaker, man. And, and this movie, Strange World, is literally about that. It's about fathers <laughs> trying to imbue the thing they love on their child and the kid uh -huh, being like, uh -huh. I'm just not into that. I'm not you, dad. And yeah. so literally, as I sat there by myself without my son <laughs> watching a movie about the thing that happened, trying to get him to come to see this movie, it had a certain resonance to me. Mm -hmm. So anyway, that's Strange World. Uh, Strange World and Jeff Kanata was a big fan of it. And it's out in theaters right now, I guess. You know, I haven't seen. I, I, I think literally I saw, have no clue anymore. I think yeah, I saw I a trailer for it, but yeah. I wouldn't yeah. I wouldn't say I was a big fan. I thought it was solid. I thought it was solid. Right. I don't think this is a this isn't a rush out and see. This isn't a Sea Beast. You know, I think yeah. Sea Beast is by yeah. far the best animated movie of the year. I think uh, Strange World is is just it's solid, good animated movie. You know, it, it, you're gonna get what you came for. Mm -hmm. It's a little it's a little trying too hard on on certain aspects. Like the plot is 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 pretty heavy. You know, pretty uh, effortful is what I would. Mm -hmm. admit, but mm -hmm. anyway, all right, uh, Jeff. What else you been watching? Okay. I also watched, uh, my wife and I watched the entire first season of a show on Amazon Prime streaming called Mammals. I heard about this. Yeah. I, it was intriguing to me, except for the fact that it stars James Gordon. Well, well, you don't, yeah, you don't yeah. care for him? I don't care for him at all. Good, good God, Jeff. Yeah. Why? Is he, is he, he something... is widely despised on the internet. Oh, I, also, I'm yeah. not aware of that. Yeah. He has a streak of being a genuine asshole. So there's so uh -huh. many stories floating around of like how terrible he actually is in person. But also personally, I just don't find him very funny. But yeah, not aware. How, how of is that. this show? Yeah. I was not aware of that. 
Uh, he was banned from a restaurant recently. Oh yeah, big news. Yeah. Balthazar. Yeah, you're, 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 Jeff is blessed that he doesn't know any of the James Corden drama. But anyway, suffice <laughs> so to say, drama. you have no so you have no connotations with James Corden. But what did, my, what did you think uh, of Mammals? I'm so my curious. latest uh, my latest uh, daily summary says 17 minutes on my phone. That's why I don't know these things, guys. 17 minutes a day on my your screen time. Your screen <laughs> time summary. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Anyway, um, good job, Jeff. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Un- unsullied for life. Head yeah. in the sand, for, baby. for everything. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so we watched all six episodes of this show for some reason. Uh, mm-hmm. This show is terrible. <laughs> what are you doing, Jeff? It's terrible. Wow. Yeah. Uh, Mozart it, it, in the Jungle is right there. The, a, a delightful the, romp that the, I assure you, your wife will also love. I I, I want to get around to that. The uh-huh. the full flowering of its terribleness did not happen until the last episode. <laughs> <laughs> so there's that. Uh-huh. Yeah. These yeah. are half an hour episodes. It, you know, is like less than two and a half hours total to watch the entire thing. It, I want to spoil all of it because it's so awful. It's God awful. Um, <laughs> It, it, maybe maybe it is, an after dark. It, it yeah. starts out very intriguing. It starts out very uh-huh. intriguing. Basically, yeah. Corden plays a uh, a chef who's opening a new restaurant and discovers that his wife is cheating on him. Mm-hmm. And sort of how he handles that is the thrust of the show and and who she's cheating with and and how many people she's cheating with and what's going on. And there are these supernatural elements as well, very strange sort of uh, dreamlike sequences. The, the last episode is such a turd. <laughs> there is a twist, if you can call it that, that is completely asinine. It, it is emotionally inconsistent with literally every other second of the show. It... It's the kind of twist where you go, well, that just fucking invalidates everything. That's just, <laughs> why was I even here this whole time? What was I doing here? This is, it's, it, it is, um, it's a terrible show and I recommend everyone avoid it. It's called Mammals. Uh, I found it, it, it is intriguing at the beginning to the point where we kept watching it. And literally after every episode, I turned to my wife and I go, are we still watching this? And she's like, I want to know what happened. I want to know what the deal is. And then we find out the deal and you go, I hate this. I hate you. I hate you show. I hate you. Uh It is so emotionally inconsistent. It's so it's like, it's an insult to the viewer. What happens at the end? Wow. Insult. Wow. I think. All right. Well, that's sadly the way I talk about is probably going to get people to watch it, which I I don't recommend. (laughs) Well, finally, you've been soured on James Corden, Jeff. So yeah, it turns out I mean (laughs) I'm right there with he's the reason that it's bad. But yeah, Yeah. I didn't know he was a I didn't know he was a like notorious asshole. I mean, at the same time, you know, Jeff is the one who's defending like Chris Pratt on the podcast, so it's Mm -hmm. possible you Mm -hmm. might after having learned Chris Pratt. I just said I think he's I like him in this movie. Sure, I I can sure. I think I'm yeah. able to separate art from artists a little more than you guys. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so maybe I'm saying. I guess what I'm saying is maybe you would not dislike James Gordon even after learning about whatever people don't like about him. You I know dislike him after watching this show. <laughs> well, that is mammals, and it's yeah. available on Prime Video right now. And Jeff did not like it at all. Did not. Did not. What like else? It. Well, speaking of stories of marriages, Jeff. Yes. You also had a chance to watch Fleischman in Trouble. I have heard tell about this that it is 
pretty good. What did you think of Fleischman in Trouble, which is on FX right now? This is the exact opposite end of the spectrum. I have only seen two episodes of this show. There's only two episodes so far as we record this that have been released on Hulu on FX. But this show is, I think, already for me, one of the best shows of the year. It's wow, phenomenal. Phenomenal. Um, I'm, I'm so hooked. Uh, this is the kind of show that, I don't know, 10 years ago would have been a movie. It wouldn't have been a show. This isn't, we don't, it's so wild to think like, this can't be a movie anymore because it wouldn't make any money as a movie, mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. it can be a show now. So it's based on a novel and it gets to be however many episodes it's going to be. And actually probably be better than the movie that would have been based on this book that would have been made would have been because it has more time. It's we're such a weird place where like these premier, like great actors in compelling dramas, they don't happen on the big screen anymore. They only happen on, on, on TV, but there's this kind of benefit that we get from it because now these novels that I think are more, you know, denser than movies have allowed them to be can actually be pretty dense because they get to be multiple hours as a TV show. Anyway, that's a side note. This movie is about, I mean, I'm not even really sure it has, it has revealed itself completely uh, over two episodes because there's clearly more going on here. But it's the, it's the story of uh, this guy, Toby Fleischman, who is played by Jesse Eisenberg. And he's been in a marriage for 15 years, has just gotten divorced from Claire Danes. And he's sort of reinventing himself, rediscovering himself, rediscovering his single man-ness. You know, he's, he's like on dating apps and, and still trying to be a good dad. And he's a doctor. And he seems like a really decent human being, at least through the first two episodes, uh, dealing with his wife, having these friendships that he's had since college, sort of this life that he's uh, living in New York City the 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 format of the show is very literary in the sense that you are constantly getting his inner monologue but it's delivered as voiceover from a different character so one of his best friends on the show is this woman who is constantly giving a running narrative of his inner life she's sort of telling his story and talking and saying the things that he might be thinking in any given moment and what he's going through in any given moment in a way that you would expect from a great novel where you're inside the head of the character. And oftentimes that doesn't work cinematically. It, it, it oftentimes weighs down something. It's not, you know, you're not seeing images. You're hearing this constant uh, textual um, running dialogue. But here it really does work, at least for me. And I relate to this guy in a, in a lot of ways. Obviously, I'm not getting divorced, knock on wood, but um, just sort of his, his uh, attempts to be a good dad and navigate, uh, you know, his, his 40s and trying to be a decent human being and, and the, the sort of push and pull of money and morality and all of these things. The, the, the show has a lot to say about those things. I think it's really interesting and insightful. And the sort of hook, the the gimmick of it, of, of that constant listening to the inner monologue just works so well. I love this show and I cannot see, cannot wait to see where it's going because clearly, I mean, over the first two episodes, Claire Danes is barely in it. 
And, you know, obviously, if you're getting an actress of her stature, her caliber, she's going to play a much bigger role as this show goes forward. And I, I'm so curious. There's a, a mystery over the first two episodes that's surrounding her. And I, I just, I have a lot of confidence that this, this is going to pay off in a really interesting way. And the, and the show is the, the very first shot of the very first episode is upside down. And I think that is foreshadowing uh, a flip in what the expectations are over the course of this. I'm just intuiting that. I don't, I'm not basing it on anything. I don't know anything about the novel or anything, but I just suspect the show has a lot more to reveal as it goes forward. And I am hooked. Awesome. That is also the cover of the novel as well, mm. is an upside down city. Mm. Um, so uh, it's probably a nod to that. And it probably has some thematic weight as well. But Fleischman is in trouble is the name of the show. It's streaming right now on FX and Hulu, and Jeff is a big fan. I'm looking forward to checking this out as well. So uh, those are some of the things we have been watching this week. We are going to take a quick break, talk about a sponsor. We'll be right back uh, with weekly plugs and then our review of The Menu. Hey, it's time for me to tell you about our sponsor, Sizzle Pitch. I know you're a movie fan. You love Movie special features. Oh, I do. It's one of my favorite things. Do you wish you had more access to the behind the scenes of the making of movies? Oh, I do. It's one of my favorite things. Or maybe you are a filmmaker yourself looking for ways to learn more about the filmmaking process. Sizzle Pitch is made for you. It's perfect for you. Sizzle Pitch gives anyone access to making movie magic with zero experience required by helping create sizzle reels which are mini film projects that filmmakers use to show what their ideas could become in a feature film or TV show. Barbarian, Deadpool, The Matrix. What do all these films and more have in common? They all started off as a sizzle reel proof of concept. With Sizzle Pitch, you'll get to choose from a variety of genres, including horror, comedy, sci-fi, and drama. Whatever your tastes, you'll learn about the entire filmmaking process from producing to special effects to meeting cast and crew. It's a bit like crowdfunding, but you get way more than a t-shirt for your participation. Go to sizzlepitch.com right now to sign up or gift that cinephile in your life something truly special. On top of the introductory launch pricing, use promo code FILMCAST for $100 off one Sizzle project. That's promo code FILMCAST at sizzlepitch.com. Making independent films with you. All right, let's get to Weekly Plugs. Weekly Plugs. Weekly Plugs, a part of the show where we plug something else we've been making. I want to plug Decoding TV. I covered The Crown, seasons five, episodes one through three, over at podcast.decodingtv.com. Uh, my wife and I discussed this. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I think I've told you guys this story offline, but I will tell a, a, a brief version of this story online, which is basically uh, on Decoding TV. We typically talk with you know experts in their field. Like I had a Lord of the Rings expert on to talk about Lord of the Rings show, and a Game of Thrones expert on to talk about House of Dragon. I wanted to get a Royals expert on to talk about The Crown, and. Uh, couldn't make it work. Couldn't figure out a way to could, like. I found some Royals experts, but couldn't figure out a way to make it. You know, we we could never come to an agreement on on a, a way for them to podcast with me. Um, and that's when I realized it would be easier for my wife to become a Royals expert than for me to get an existing one 
to podcast with me. Uh, and so that's what she did. She read like a bunch of books and... Uh, you just got her a pile of books. Yeah. Do some work. Yes. Yes, exactly. I mean, I was willing to do the work too, but it made more sense for her to do it because she's, <laughs> she's, already, she's already into it. She's already into it, you know? So anyway. Uh, so I lo- she... I love. I hope you presented it to her that way. Oh, I, yeah. I'm, I'm happy to do the work. It just makes more sense for you to do the work. <laughs> yeah, really? yeah, totally. It's like, it's like you don't need to get me a PS5 for Christmas. I can get you a PS5 for Christmas, you know? <laughs> Anyway, I would love uh, to take the garbage out. It just makes more sense for you to do it. You know yeah, what I mean? yeah, 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 yeah. All right. Anyway, uh, podcast.decodingtv.com for our conversation about the crown. Devinder Hardware, your weekly plug. I want to shout out the latest episode of the Engadget podcast. We talked about the holiday gift guide that we've been building up in Engadget uh, for the past few months now. So for everybody who's asking me about like what's the best uh, headphones to, to buy or the best laptop or something to buy or to gift to people, uh, you should check out this episode. And also check out our gift guide because we've got all sorts of fun stuff there. I, lo- I love doing gift guides because it can really just be the place I point people to so they stop asking me things on Twitter. So please, <laughs> go, go look at our gift guide. It's great. Not, uh, it's not uh, providing value to the world, making people's that, holidays that's the better. That's value it provides, it's, yeah. It's, um, it's uh, just get the fuck away from me, basically. Go. Um, Ask yeah. other questions, yeah. Yeah. I do. Do you guys, you guys know that site, Let Me Google That For You? Do you guys know mm-hmm. that site? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that yeah. site. Yeah, um, I mean, because I, I remember when that site uh, first launched because yeah, we I, would use it all the time. A million yeah. years ago, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it, so for those who don't know, let me Google that for you. Is basically, you go to the site, let me Google that for you, and then you enter in, like, pe- here, here's the thing, guys. People ask us questions all the time, okay? Sure. yeah. And yeah. I would say a good 30 to 50% of those questions can be found with Google. I would uh, say more. I would say more. And so like 70 to 80%. You send per, yeah. you send someone a let me google that for you link and basically it walks you through the steps of how to google something which is an extremely <laughs> passive aggressive way of saying please just google it yourself. It is the most passive aggressive thing to ever come onto the internet. Yes. And uh and I love, love it. it and I love yeah. it. <laughs> Jeff Kanata, your weekly plug. Well, I do a video game podcast called DLC, and I brought it up a number of times. I, I think our show, we've been doing it, uh, we're about to have completed our ninth year doing DLC. We'll start our 10th year in January. Congratulations. Thank you. And I think we've hit a new gear. I think we've hit a new mode. We you know, recently launched a Patreon at uh, DLC, and it's allowed us to add uh, more content. And this last week, we had... Uh, the main DLC show, which is a weekly video game roundup of news and, and all the games that we've been playing. And we, we talk about as much of the industry as we can cover in our in our time. And it has a different guest every episode. Uh, and uh, alongside that, we do a paid DLC show. That's the, the Patreon exclusive content on Wednesday with our special guest, Lana Bashinsky, who is in the industry, an artist, delightful, so much fun, so funny. And that, that show is irreverent and wacky in the same way our After Darks can be uh, here. Uh, but also we had a full-on over hour long God of War Ragnarok spoiler discussion where we talked about all the, the campaign goodies inside that amazing game. And there is another weekly show that comes out on Fridays for patrons uh, called Feeling This, where Christian Spicer and Alex Solman, who's in the industry as well, uh, talk about the feeling of games. So it's just uh, so much more content than we've ever made. I think it's all really, really excellent. And uh, I hope people check it out. If you're interested in video games, it's a great time of year to be excited about video games because all the best stuff's coming out before the holidays. And there's lots of uh, end of year retrospectives. The best stuff of the year we'll be talking about our our tops of the years soon. Check out DLC. You can find it at 5x5.tv slash DLC or uh, on Patreon, patreon.com slash DLC pod uh, is where you find that there too. 
Well, speaking of supporting podcasts via Patreon, you can always support this podcast at patreon.com slash filmpodcast. Sign up for ad-free episodes and exclusive After Darks. Last week, I forced Devendra and Jeff to try to guess the top 10 most influential movies of all time, according to science. And we discussed that on the Filmcast After Dark. You can find that at patreon.com slash filmpodcast. Of course, we never want you to donate if it in any way causes you any financial hardship. Uh, but for those who are able to support us, we appreciate it. And if you want to support us with no money at all, it's very easy to do that. Leave a star rating uh, or a review for us on whatever podcast platform you use. Uh, we would really appreciate it. Uh, it really does make a big difference. Also, share about us on the social medias. That would really help mm. out as well. All right, There's folks. more more of them every day, it seems. Yes, yeah, <laughs> on the social media platforms. Let's get to our review of the menu. Is that going to fit everyone? Yeah, easily. 12 customers total. How do they turn a profit? 12.50 a head, that's how. What are we eating, a Rolex? It's one of his classics. You have to try the mouthfeel of the mignonette. Please don't say mouthfeel. Tonight will be madness. Welcome. We'll endeavor to make your evening as pleasant as possible. Welcome to Hawthorne. Here we are family. Yes, we harvest, we ferment, we gel. We gel. We gel. You are watching or listening to The Filmcast, a podcast about movies. We are about to discuss The Menu, the newest film by Mark Mylod. I'm going to read the plot summary from IMDb. A young couple travels to a remote island to eat at an exclusive restaurant where the chef has prepared a lavish menu with some shocking surprises. I want to start by saying something. I, I must confess something horrible to you folks. Okay. <laughs> this movie's about you? Uh, I mean, yeah, it's like tag yourself. Which one of you, uh, which character are you in the movie? Ray Fiennes plays Julian Slovic in the movie, who runs an uh, extremely exclusive high-end restaurant called uh, Hawthorne. I am almost certain, I'm like 95% Mm -hmm. certain, that I have been to the restaurant on which Hawthorne is based. Oh, absolutely. As as a customer. it is widely believed to be based off of uh, the Willows Inn on Lummi Island, which is right off the coast of, uh, you know, in Washington State. Uh, you here, here are some similarities between the restaurant in real yeah. life and the restaurant in the movie. Uh, you have to take a ferry to get to the restaurant in the movie. They do one seating per night. Um, I don't think it's actually as expensive as it is in the movie. I think it's a little bit less expensive than in the movie, but it's like it's like one or two dozen people, one scene. Mm-hmm. Anna night. Taylor Joy was there. Anna Taylor Joy was there. Uh, there, uh, it's on an island, and um, they originally marketed themselves as like everything from this restaurant comes from the island. You are eating the island is kind of what it's supposed to feel like. And that's yeah. I think that's a line that's actually in the movie of like you're right. eating the ocean or you're eating yeah. the island or yeah. something like that. Yeah. Um, of course, later, by the way, I should point out, after I went there, you know, uh, I proposed to my wife at the Willows Inn. After I went there, uh, it came out that, first of all, a lot of the food didn't come from the island. They were buying chicken from Costco and stuff like that. So they were lying to people. Uh, and also they were responsible for horrifying abuses, including wage theft. Um, so yeah, uh, you know, real, real mixed bag there. 
Um, yeah. But, you know, also a lot of the food dishes were like super creative, molecular gastronomy, like that kind of stuff. So it's extremely similar. And so I just wanted to start by saying I've been to the restaurant that this is based off of. And I think this movie nails it. <laughs> Was there, to... <laughs> was there the the same quality of theatricality of the chef coming out and making a no. speech before? No, no. But I, I have been to restaurants where the chef does that. Um, you know, a chef will like come out and like give a whole speech before like a course or or, or before yeah. a meal. Um, that does happen uh, sometimes. But yeah, um, but yeah, I th- I would say it nailed it. Um, in terms of certainly in terms of like the food quality and design. Um, and also the kind of like just general atmosphere that you might feel traveling to an island to eat a meal, you know? Yeah. Uh, so all that said, putting aside the verisimilitude of how well this captures foodie culture and high-end restaurants, Devinder Hardaway, I'm really curious, what did you think of the menu overall? Oh, I, I love this movie. I, I think it's fantastic. Um, mostly because like I, I have not had the chance to go to many super high-end restaurants like this, but also it did make me think about like why, oh, the things that kind of turn me off from it, uh, I've tried, um, you know, a handful of like molecular gastronomy places, and there's always a sense of like coldness and to it mm. that I don't quite understand. I think this movie does a great job of exploring that idea of just what are you trying to accomplish with this level of uh, of, of cooking and of serving your customers too. Um, there's it's, it's, the, the yeah. molecular gastronomy where you like manipulate yeah. food at a very basic level. It comes off as like. You know, one thinks of food preparation mm-hmm. as very um, dirty. Like you get you get dirty. Your hands get oil on sure, them, sure. and there's crumbs everywhere. And when you compare that to like a dish that's served to you, where like every crumb is carefully placed, you know, it feels colder and clinical by comparison. Which mm-hmm. is which is something that I think this movie is trying to um, say something. It's trying to draw a kind of. Uh, there's a spectrum of positive and negative and the positive is the kind of more home cooked blah 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 and the negative is kind of this like uh extremely pretentious snobbish you know you kind of have to use the p word here like this movie is railing against the pretentiousness of like super high-end yes um you know dining and it's something i can feel too like i've never really felt comfortable in those spaces in the few places i have been able to go to and uh you know it's just one of those things i i think like as a thriller um this movie i some people are also calling it a horror movie and i don't know I don't know. It's like it's like a horror thriller to me. It kind of like veers in multiple directions. But I think it is endlessly entertaining. I think all the characters are really well drawn, especially all the people like coming into this dining room. Everybody kind of has their own angle to it. And where this movie ultimately goes feels um, it feels it feels interesting. It feels kind of rewarding. It feels like it is saying something about what the chef actually thinks about these types of diners, you know? So I, I found that all really good. And also Annie Taylor joy. I love her in everything. And this is a great movie for her enormous eyes to be like bugged out at everything <laughs> happening around her. So that's she all literally really says, good. she literally says my eyes are bigger than my stomach in this movie. And I was like, yes. Eh? yes. <laughs> that's, that's also Nicholas Holt, I think does a great job of basically playing every, every like really uppity uh, foodie I've ever encountered in my life. So I think everybody is like on grade a work here. Ray finds terrifying as always. They basically is like, just do Voldemort, do Voldemort again <laughs> as a chef. Do Voldemort, fantastic. but he's serving you food. Yep. Jeff Kanata, what did you think of the menu? Well, Dave, I guess you could say what I thought of the menu is best summed up in the form of a limerick. Hmm. 
It is delightfully deviant watching the rich be obedient. As a foodie, it's fun, but the ending's missing one. I'm going to do that again. I'm going to do that again. I messed it up. It is delightfully deviant watching the rich be obedient. As a foodie, it's fun, but the end's missing one significant final ingredient. Mm, nice, nicely done, but it doesn't sound like you like the movie that much. I did like the movie. I did yeah. like the movie. I just wish the ending had landed better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't think the ending lands. And we'll get to that in spoilers. And unfortunately, my biggest criticisms of the movie have to be in the spoiler section. Mm-hmm. Because for the first half of this movie, I, ju- I, was, I was enjoying every tasty morsel. Mm-hmm. I, was, I was licking my spoon. I was licking my plate. I was, en- I was lapping it up. The way you are brought into this world and introduced to the characters yeah. and, and you know, the, the confines, the, the world building that happens. Yeah. The setup is so well done. Delicious. Yeah. Delicious. It is, uh, it's wonderful. And the cast of characters is all wonderful as well. Uh, Devendra, I agree with you 100% that, you know, it's a send up of this pretension. I think that pretension isn't just in fine dining. I think it is, a, that is a, a stand-in for all mm-hmm. pretension, for yeah, all yeah. sort of wealth all culture. Yeah. Yeah. And this this notion uh that that things that are absurdly expensive and, and the, the finest things in life often are hollow and shallow and devoid of any humanity. They're just uh artificially inflated in price and in uh, everybody's fooling themselves. We're all we're all uh you know uh the the emperor has no closing everything you know it, it has to be good because of how expensive and uh, and elite mm-hmm. this experience is um but i don't think it lands i don't think as fun as i was having as much as i was loving the experience and loving the characters and loving every surprising twist and turn that 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 this was having I want to I want to compare it to something, but I fear that that will spoil things. So I I will wait till spoilers to make my case here. But I, you know, this movie was almost a complete home run for me. I think it's a solid triple, and uh, I I really enjoyed so much of it. I like you know I like movies that are sort of single location, feel very constrained and compressed and 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 claustrophobic. This movie feels that in a lot of ways, and um it's so doing so much right. And the fact that like, we even have a movie that is this, I mean, this movie in a lot of ways is absurd. It's an absurdist film. Mm -hmm. Um, and you don't get that. It like it, things happen that strain credulity that, that make you doubt that this could happen in real life. And in fact, I don't think you were supposed to think that it could happen in real life. It is a, it is a uh, a morality play. It is an absurdist, dark F- comedy in a lot of ways. Fantastical in some ways, I yeah. think. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. But it's like it's like Brechtian, you know. It's 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 yeah. it's uh, or um, um, waiting for Goddard. It. Um, it was a Beckett. It's like a Beckett. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it's it's more like Beckett than it is, you know. Uh, naturalistic film for sure yeah you don't apply logic to this movie because there are so many things that don't quite add up but yeah yes and Mm -hmm. and and i love that like the fact that they got this level of talent all you know so many 
great actors in this. You're John Leguizamo and Judith Light is in this movie. Yes. Like, wow, Judith Light's in this movie. And there, I mean, it's it's chock full of really great actors and performances and the level of talent that is coming to do what is essentially an absurdist piece. It just feels very special and very unique. Uh, and for that, I just, I adore it and laud it. I just wish it had coalesced at the end into something mm -hmm. bigger than the sum of its parts, which I don't think it did. And we'll get to that in spoilers. Okay. Well, yeah, let's get to spoilers pretty quickly. I'll, I'll say I love the movie. Um, it's obviously mostly set in one location. And we have talked in the past about how challenging it can be to make a one location film and make it interesting for the entire runtime. Uh, and of course, the way this movie does it is via like, the course, the course progression of the meal throughout the evening, and every course brings perverse surprises, grotesqueries, yeah. you know, to come along with every course. And it's like, oh, that's very, very creative. Like, I, I don't know why more movies haven't done this. Like, it's one of those movies where you watch, we're like, wow, I can't believe anyone hasn't done the structure, or pro probably they have, but it's not. It's certainly not very common, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. There's probably examples I'm not thinking of, but like, yes, it's very clearly laid out. Like, first course, I'm loose bush, like all this stuff. There's like title cards that come up and tell you what they are. Um, very funny too. I mean, the movie's very funny. It's very funny. It like ramps up intention for the whole time. I agree with you. It's like not quite in our universe. Like it's a little bit too out there to really be fully believable. But at the end of the day, I think this movie is a metaphor about what it means to make art and how hard mm -hmm. it is to make art. And I can talk more about that in the spoiler section, but as a thriller, I think it completely works and I had a great time and I loved it. And I, I I think I know what other movie you're talking about, Jeff, in terms of the movie you want to compare it to. And I, yeah. I would agree. It, it basically, it, let's just put it this way. The movie has an extremely similar ending to another food-based movie. <laughs> and uh, and so to that extent, I wish it was a little bit more uh, creative on that front because we. I feel it's heavily reminiscent of this other movie. And I don't think it does that as well as the other movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, but beyond that, I, I did think the ending worked for me. And so I, I that, that movie with may have ruined all food movies. Yes. Uh, indeed, in perpetuity. Indeed. Yeah. Indeed. Um, so anyway, uh, those are my thoughts on the menu. I, I liked it all the way through. Um, and overall, it seems like we're fans here on the film cast. Of Dave, the film. I, I would assume that you are the uh, Nicholas Holt character. <laughs> we will talk more in spoilers about potentially who we are. But anyway, uh, those are our opening thoughts about uh, the menu. Let's dive into some spoilers for the menu, starting right now. Now you're looking for the secret. Can I see this coming? No. But you won't find it because, of course... You're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret now. You want to be fooled. Of course, the food movie I was referring to, and I, we're all thinking about it, Sausage party, right? No, <laughs> the, the the ultimate food movie. Yes. <laughs> the animated hot dog. Uh, yeah, the ending yeah, of the, Sausage Party where all the Seth McFarlane, the Seth, Seth yeah, Rogen. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, um it is an extremely similar ending to Pixar's Ratatouille, right? Yeah. Um yeah. I, I found. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yes. And and that is uh <laughs> that's not the movie that I was actually referencing. Oh, what's I, the movie? I obviously did think of Ratatouille watching it, yeah. but the movie I was actually referencing is Seven. Yeah. And I also yeah. thought about Seven a lot while watching the, this film as well. The yeah. problem is, like, 
Seven is a near perfect movie, in my opinion. And yes. what, what other what, movie can both reference Seven and Ratatouille? <laughs> right. right. They, hey, that's a that's yeah. a uh, seal of approval right there on the menu. Yeah. Like, go see yeah. the menu just because it's like Ratatouille meets Seven. Um, but what's so brilliant about Seven and the uh, I don't think he has a name, but the the Kevin Spacey character is that by the end, when his entire plan comes together you realize what the point was. You realize like how he needed these detectives to be complicit to become, I mean, I'm spoiling seven, but to become wrath, right? You have to become, you are, I've turned you into the thing. I've shown that anyone can be manipulated. I do not believe, and you guys will maybe disagree with me, but I do not believe that the menu as expressed in this movie mm-hmm. the the event that he is putting on ultimately added up to anything more than what it what it right. some of its parts, right. right no right. well yeah. you, i mean you're you're yes i agree with you the ending is not as cool or transcendent as seven but you're also talking about like one of the best thrillers of all time right well like, i think but yeah. i think that's what this movie is promising throughout right is like mm-hmm. he keeps saying yeah. like it has to happen this way we have his his sous chef saying hey i i'm the one who suggested everybody die because it had to be, we have to have the last thing and it, yeah and i kept waiting for this movie to feel like oh have that seven moment of where i see what the grand design was i mm-hmm. see what the, and there is a grand design in the sense that he's making these people fucking choke on their own privilege, right? Well, let me let me let me lay it out for you. Sorry, you finish, Jeff. You finish and then I will I'll try I, to lay it out. I just I I don't think that you gain any more by the end than what you gained each course along the way. Like by the sure, time yeah, you realize yeah. what is happening, you got it. There isn't some added value to seeing all the courses mm-hmm. and moreover I also didn't love the way Anna Taylor Joy escaped. Like that felt like such a cheap, obvious, mm-hmm. obvious mm-hmm. manipulation. One, like, personal thing that she can latch on to. Yeah, we yeah. go to this yeah. office and we see the fucking like. It, the, He's Bob from Bob's it's, Burgers. It's really, That's the twist. I mean, it's literally the Ratatouille thing. Yeah. We see the yeah. thing that he, what, oh, he touched his, his young, youthful heart. And it's like. Ah, oh, come on! Real the, the twist like should have a- been this is a live action Bob's Burgers like <laughs> sequel, and actually he was Bob in the past, and uh, his life went off the rails. That's funny, mm-hmm. but, but I just think it, that is beneath the rest of this movie. Mm-hmm. Like the, yeah, the rest yeah. of this movie is working on such a high level that I felt like that was so beneath it, and and I wanted it to be more. And again, I love the movie. I love the experience. I would recommend the movie, but. I really wish the ending was stronger. I, I feel that. I was also waiting for somebody to do like, what's under the platter cover? What's <laughs> under the platter cover? Yeah, right. Yeah. So the menu is about how hard it is to create art, what it is to be a creator. Uh, he's making food, but he could be making a movie. He could be making an album sure. or whatever. Right. And every customer represents an archetype that has become completely oppressive in his in his current creative environment. Yeah. There's the money guys who are not only assholes but they consign him to a life of servitude. Like he no longer gets any joy out of it anymore. But he has to keep doing it because of the money guys. And that's why, you know, I, I know you already understood this, but like when Anya Taylor-Joy asks him for the cheeseburger, it's like 
This is him cooking for the love of cooking. He has forgotten. Right. Um, he has forgotten when obviously. it was joyful to cook. Right. Okay. It's the most, it's the most yeah. surface level obvious reveal. I just feel it, it was pretty convenient. I agree with you mm-hmm. on that front. But there's the average customers who uh, they go, but they don't appreciate it. Yeah, the repeat you know? customers. The re- the riffraff. Right. They they don't they don't appreciate what he's trying to make. Um, there is uh, the critics. Obviously, us here, we're assholes. We're the um, worst. And then, yeah. And then, um, and then Nicholas Holt is a really interesting character. He is basically, I think, the fanboy. The fanboy, yeah. The fan, he's the fanboy. And it's like, you have removed, you, you know how it's done. You know how to make this stuff, but you don't actually know. You think you know how to actually yeah, do it, but right. if you tried to do it, you'd fail. Oh, man. The yeah, whole, you've never like, tried making, to do it. Yeah, you've, you've never, never tried making to, him cook a thing. Yeah. It's just like delicious. Like, I'll just get any Twitter commenter or any Reddit commenter to be like, I know how to fix this TV show. Right. Yeah. There's a really cool segment on, I don't remember if it's Sports Center or whatever, but they actually they get people who have tweeted, like, with people tweeting about football games. And they're like, oh, I uh-huh. can't believe that kicker missed. And then mm-hmm. they'll literally fly that person who made that tweet yeah. to a gym and then film them trying to kick a field goal. <laughs> and usually, like, 90% of the time, it ends horribly. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but it's like, yeah, it's like you've demystified 10% the, of the proce- time. The guy fucking nails the field goal. <laughs> you've demystified the process. Mm-hmm. Like you, you say you love me, but you've like made this. Pro- you've demystified the process. You, you think you're really good at this, but you actually suck shit. Yeah. Um. You've like killed all the joy of this whole thing for me. Um. That whole so- sequence is amazing, by the way, because uh, Ray Fines basically turns into um, what's his name, Ramsey. We're yeah, just, Gordon like, giving Ramsey. the telecommentary is like, what are you gonna do with those shallots, buddy? Huh? Okay, we got an edible yeah. sauce here. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. It's very good. Um, mm-hmm. and so yeah, it's it's basically like Julian Slovic has just so much contempt for everything and everyone around him. Mm-hmm. Even I think the way all of his staff respond to him, yeah, is yeah. K- kind of a commentary on cult-like worship that people have sure. of like directors yeah, right like sure. they're, they're their living do... quarters are basically yeah. cult quarters you yeah. know it's like it's it's cots and open toilets it's nothing nothing humane I'd say. nothing yeah. you've said dave i think solves the problem to me of like what is this farce what is the benefit of stepping them through the realization yeah. of that like I, it is, I, I would agree it, with you you're basically it, like after the third course you've already got it like you don't you got need, it yeah, like you got it, it yeah at a certain point he's doing something for the benefit of the audience mm-hmm. not the people in the movie at right. a certain point it's like none of this matters and none of this adds up to anything i want it to i want there to be a reason as to why you have like Bring everybody here, set the place on fire. Why the fuck do you pretend to have the guy come in and pretend to save them with the gun? Like, what was the reason for it? Give, was, him, give him a glimmer of hope. Glimmer why? Of hope. Like, makes it, what, makes what, it more delicious. That, makes it more delicious. That, I was, think, very, that yeah. was very silly. Yeah. And also, the movie does raise a lot of weird questions, as, yes. including the one that you're asking. Um, like what was going to be the plan if Anya Taylor-Joy didn't radio would right. that guy have just lived and been outside the restaurant um, Hong Chow never shows up at the end so I guess they're just like well I guess she must have died or she, she decided died. not to participate in the mass suicide yeah no like, one what? cares that she was murdered <laughs> earlier nobody cares yeah. that she was she's incredible though like, she's, she's great awesome. she's great very much yeah. uh, I've encountered that sort of person or even like assistant to very high powered people who take their job way too seriously and I yeah. guess we kind of see that in, in Tar and other things too yeah, yeah. Well, uh, well I will say that you know some of the elements of the movie that were unrealistic are aside from murdering everyone um <laughs> 
know, uh-huh. the the restaurant was not very welcoming, right? Like Hong Chow was very like quite hostile, um, and that's not what the level of service you typically expect at this kind of really? restaurant. Oh, I, I um, definitely experienced that. Maybe you can go to more New York restaurants, Dave. No, but very, yeah. po- very possibly. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that, that's, that part did strike me as, as a little bit um, um, unrealistic. <laughs> uh, also pretty funny <laughs> that uh, John Leguizamo is just there because the director didn't like the guy didn't like his movie. Didn't like, like his movie. Yeah. I mean, like, the ultimate, the ultimate one. Like he's like, I, I had, had one day, day off. off. <laughs> one See day a off. piece of shit movie. Yeah. That was, that was just in there as a goof. Right? I think he that just... was like, this one is for me. Okay. All the others I could justify. This one's for Also, me. I feel like there was a lot of hanging, unresolved stuff with mom. Like oh, the, yeah. The mom. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like I kept waiting for it felt that. I like that was to... going to go somewhere and it didn't yeah, really go. Yeah. It didn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It, it, makes me, it makes me wonder if there's like another cut of the movie where like that was more. Instead, but you, you know, you can't cut her out of the movie because of the way the movie's structured, yeah. right? I so think that, like... that scene where he basically introduces like her and his background or supposed background, yeah. I think is pretty well done. Um, oh, dude, I, I feel the, like the mm-hmm. bringing out the all the thighs with the, yeah. uh, scissors stuck into them, I was like, oh, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, the one that was really. Uh, that was most upsetting was the first one called mm-hmm. the mess when the guy yeah shoots himself in the head right. that was up to really... that point we'd been in a pretty normal movie <laughs> i do feel like the movie could have like uh taken steps to get to that point because you go from oh this is just a really uppity restaurant to a guy uh shoots himself in the middle of the floor i feel like it escalated very quickly there but i, I did the, expect it to yeah the movie showed a lot of restraint that we never end up eating people i thought we were at some point going to be eating humans mm-hmm. but, but you know, like the part I, where she's like i want to i want a burger i was like oh he's definitely making a burger out of out of the dude who mm-hmm. hung himself that's definitely uh, what's happening yeah mads mickelson should have played the chef that would have been great here's what i'm also going to say is uh we find out in the course of the movie that anya taylor joy's character is an escort Right, mm-hmm. or a prostitute, and I'm just gonna say, um, if I had hired Anya Taylor Joy for this purpose in this movie, and had had the evening I had, I would have asked for my money back because <laughs> she was not very accommodating of the. You know, she's like, she just oh, had what to be we there. Gonna, were we eating Rolexes? It's like, hey, you know, <laughs> if, if I'm paying for your companionship, like you have to kind of go along with, you know. Well, she asks extremely... at one point, she's like, it's okay that I'm not into this? He's like, yeah, yeah, it's totally fine. Totally fine. I mean, yeah. he's leading her to her death, so <laughs> I, I guess, feel like... I guess he doesn't... He's like, you yeah. know, maybe it's, it's Whatever. cooler if you're not into it, but... Just need anybody. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. It uh, is weird that that nobody tries to fight back, and that at one point he's like, you guys literally could have fought, fought back at any probably... point, and then they there, there were still some... don't. There were some, but still. Well, yeah, I, I felt I felt like the movie did a pretty good job of explaining why you wouldn't fight back. Mm-hmm. Like you had all these burly guys like lined up, right? Yeah. I guess People they could have all tried skills. to like, band together. They could have all tried to band together with yeah. their forks and stuff, but like it would have been tough. It would have been. <laughs> these tough. People have uh, knife skills. You, yes. you don't have a chance. Yeah, yeah I, I agree. I don't know. I you go you go down swinging, or you or you just burn up. I mean, that last image of them like with the chocolate dripping down and everything. It's like I feel like at, at some point maybe. You realize mm-hmm. I'm going to burn to death, or I'm going to try literally right. anything. Yeah, yeah. I'd rather to quote uh, a character from the Disney Plus television show Andor. I'd rather die, you know, trying to escape than die giving them what they want. 
Mm-hmm. Right. And exactly. uh, that would be my approach in that scenario. But I, well, I, I did like the melting down. Like, it was very Raiders of the Lost Ark. When oh, it was had awesome. The and that, like, yeah. the, the vests of marshmallow. I, I've never thought about – he, like, totally ruined s'mores for me. I was like, oh, <laughs> I guess I, I guess s'mores are awful. I uh, yeah. never really thought I mean, about that. Somebody with his mindset, yeah. yeah. They would be yeah. awful. Um, But uh, – yeah, I, I do think I, I do sympathize with Jeff that there were like some buildups yeah. that never felt yeah. like they paid off. Like the mom, like where was that thing going? Uh, we we got some arc of it. Like it does explain the scissor dish and other things. Right. Um, the big door. You know, there's something <laughs> special behind the door, but it's like okay, it's, it yeah. wasn't that special. It was cool to to break into his house and there's like a replica of the restaurant in the house though. That was that kind of a cool makes like unsettling complete sense. moment. Yeah. Makes complete sense where he is most at home. I do want to throw a shout out to like pretty much all the supporting staff too. Like I love I love the finance bros, Rob Yang, Jiro okay. Castro who he's from Broad City. Like I I love these guys. I love them whenever they pop yeah. up into things and being the the finance bros in the sort of like entitlement that comes with that sort of uh lifestyle. I think they they great casting. Really well. yeah. They're like casting yes, director give us... applauded mm-hmm. because very. I think you, you, I would never immediately think of some of these actors, but they mm-hmm. all were so perfect. Uh, the woman from Ozark as the film critic, she's fantastic. Tier, I believe. Yeah, yeah she's uh, so food, great. Food critic, yeah, and um, yeah, I agree. I, everyone played their part really well, and and not necessarily in weight like. I haven't necessarily seen them in this specific kind of role before, so it's right. cool to see them like try something different. But, um, but also like what they did about asking for the bread is extremely gauche. I would say, you know, like I know <laughs> if you're going to th- do a thing, you tr- like there's an yeah. amount of trust that goes into like, oh, yes, there's not bread right now, but like presumably there'll be something later to make up. For, you know, well, I, I love it, that. They establish that this restaurant is known for its bread. Like that's why yeah, you go yeah. is because the bread's so <laughs> amazing. I mean, that dish is basically fuck you. That's what it is. It's fuck you on a plate. Yeah. You know, and some people are into it and they're the ones kind of reacting to it. And I, I certainly would be annoyed. Like if I spent a ton of money and I get the the uh constituent parts, the random parts of what would make up bread. I would be pretty angry too. Uh, yeah, but I, I would understand yeah. if it wasn't a prefix menu though. Like if sure, if you go sure. and you order bread and get that, yes, okay, you can be mad. But like you are going for yeah. the experience of like trusting that a chef is designing this whole meal around an mm-hmm. idea, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, so anyway, I'm definitely I, I definitely associated most with Nicholas Holt, you know, up up to a certain point, obviously. Mm-hmm. But like mm-hmm. that. I, I, those guys are the dudes that go to the magic show and are constantly like, I know how he did it. It's like, you're yeah, not here to yeah. fucking figure out how he <laughs> right. did it. It's exactly. not, that's, the job isn't, he's not challenging you to figure out how he did it. The, the, the joy is going along with the experience. And yeah, anyway. Uh, all right. Well, any other thoughts on the menu? I mean, I, I think we all had a great time with it. Such a general. great time. And again, I just love the audacity of this movie. It feels mm-hmm. It feels like such a uh, uh, the kind of movie you don't see made, especially with this level of talent, because it's just, it's so it's so wacky on a certain level. Like it's just it's 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 not afraid to be goofball. Like the the movie ends with people wearing marshmallow suits and having chocolate melt down their face as they mm-hmm. burn alive. Like that's goofy, but the fact that you know you've got Ray Fiennes and and Anna Taylor Joy, all these huge 
actors like all signing on to make this this kind of goofy yeah. wacky movie I, I just love that about it mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. a it's the kind of movie that we all say we want to see more of in theaters yeah and then the movie debuts in theaters and it doesn't do that well and that's why they don't make them very often now this one did okay i think it made nine million dollars in its opening weekend that's not terrible um but it's not going to be like a huge success it's not going to be a huge hit it should be a huge hit um i will say you know mark Milet, he's one of the big main creative voices behind succession right now yeah uh, and i do think like it makes sense that he would make this movie like yeah. good with tension, good with uh, lampooning and satirizing rich people yeah. and their pretension. The right. the editing of it is it, this movie's edited like a comedy much of the time too, and that is kind of the secret to succession in terms of like getting the good quips and everything in and the the great pi- dialogue patter. So yeah, it makes total so sense. so good. And and like mm-hmm. you referenced the uh, you know the title cards for. The- at a certain point after things start like going off the rails, how the title cards continue and it's yes. like Tyler's bullshit, you know? It's, yeah. yeah. It's, so like it, it, even the last one s'mores, like the ingredients they list, like the entire staff yeah, and all the cust- customers yeah. as, as an ingredient. That's good, that's good shit, man. That good is shit. good shit. It's yeah. good shit. Yeah. So anyway, it, it's a lot of fun. You should check it out if you haven't seen it yet. It's the menu. And at the end of the day, it's pretty impressive that Mark Mylod made a film. That's going to bring us to the end of this week's episode of The Filmcast. You can find more episodes of this podcast at thefilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Our theme song comes courtesy of Tim McEwen from Varsity Blue. Check out his blend, The Midnight. Our spoiler bumper comes from filmmaker and YouTuber Kyle Corwith. Our weekly plugs music comes from Noah Ross. This episode was edited by me, David Chen. Uh, next week, it's going to be The Fablements, the new Steven Spielberg movie. What a blessing it is, even if we don't like movies like Ready Player One. What a blessing it is to still be able to get movies coming out in theaters from one of the greatest directors of all time. Agreed. I'm looking forward to talking about the Fablemans with you all here on the Filmcast. And again, a huge thanks to everyone at patreon.com slash filmcast for their support. Or sorry, patreon.com slash filmpodcast for your support. Really appreciate it. Have a happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Thanks for making this show what it is. See you later. See you later.